Fred Rachani of TSC. We have right here via Zoom a very special guest. You may have seen or more accurately heard him in Marvel's What If, now streaming on Disney+, Plus, playing as Brick in the Peggy Carter, Captain Carter episode. You may have heard his voice in the Final Fantasy VII remake. He's also done work for Marvel's Avengers. Actually, he's done a whole lot of work, and we're going to talk <laughs> about it here on this episode. We're joined by voice actor Isaac Robinson-Smith. Isaac, thank you so much for the time. Actually, I should say actor, voice actor, stage performer. What else is there on the job titles? Uh, singer, pianist, and uh, unicycle uh, rider, actually. That's one small thing that I don't talk about a whole lot, but I know how to ride a unicycle. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's start with that. Where'd you learn the skill? I don't, I don't know if everybody just wakes up one day and says, you know, I want to ride a unicycle. Oh, they for sure don't. My friend Peter <laughs> um, Leibold, who is a masterful lighting designer, actually does a lot of shows um, all over the place. Um, he rode a unicycle around the hall and I was like, that's really cool. Where'd you learn how to do that? And he's like, well, I, I learned I could teach you. So we spent, you know, a week teaching me in college how to learn how to ride a unicycle and became kind of like a club. There was like eight of us that were like constantly out like at 10 p.m. to like two in the morning, just like trying to ride. So that's that's how it happened. I haven't done it in a long time, but it was a fun college memory. So I have my friend Peter to thank for that. Awesome. And from, yeah. what I and from what I understand, you've been kind of in the acting space where it'd be acting or voice acting for about 10 years now. Uh, yeah, voice acting seriously for about 10 years, but I've been an performer and actor since I can remember really like my mom introduced me to theater pretty much since I was born like theaters in the blood of our family like I was born listening to musicals on vinyl and and tape that my mom had and like taking theater classes that my mom put me in so basically I um, have been introduced to the stage ever since I was little so I don't I don't remember a time when I wasn't performing in some way so it's it's been part of my whole life which I love you my friend are brick in Marvel's what if the yeah critically acclaimed Captain Carter episode. Uh, can you talk about that whole process and how you got involved with the series? Yeah, I can. It was a very weird thing. And I find that a lot of the things that happen that are good in my life or my career, and like a lot of my friends too, it just sort of unfolds the way that it should. I mean, there's obviously the work that comes with it and and the luck and the, the time spent moving forward. But what happened was I was living with um, my good friend, Lindsay Rousseau at the time, uh, we were both living in Burbank together, roommates, and she's also a voice actor. And she actually let me know that there was this Marvel project that was out there that um, she said, you should submit for this if you want to. And at the time, I had no idea what it was. So I said, OK, that sounds cool. So I submitted my demo to this. I forget the email address or where it went exactly, but I submitted it. Um, and a couple of things happened as a result of that. One, I got uh, contacted by... Um, a loop group coordinator named Terrence, and he brought me in to do some background looping for the show. Um, but even before that, I think, before that process really got going, um, I was contacted to do some what's called scratch voiceover recording, which is like the initial voiceover that happens before the actual animation gets finished. So it's like the storyboard level, you know, the, the quick things that are in the on the screen that give you just the rough idea of what the scene is going to look like or what the episode will look like, which gets approved by Marvel. And then it gets fleshed out full animation and full voice and all that. So I was doing like a bunch of characters that I love. Like I got to, you know, scratch for all these uh, animated characters and Marvel characters that I had grown up, you know, seeing and hearing about it in the movies and everything, so, which was awesome. And then a few sessions into doing scratch, they said, the team said, you know, we really like what you're doing. We were going to try to get you a role on the show if we can. And so cut to a little bit later in the process. Um, we started the scratch, by the way, about two years before it actually premiered on Disney plus. So it's a long time that I couldn't say anything or talk about it. Um, but they said, we want to get you, we're trying to get you an actual role in the show. And so that's where brick came from. They gave me this guy that was this, I didn't even know what he looked like. He was, they just told me he's this big imposing, um, 
figure that's going to fight Peggy Carter and get then get punched out by her. And that's all I knew. Um, so my first time seeing him was doing some ADR, some extra recording uh, on top of the animation itself. And I was like, oh, that's what Brick looks like. That's awesome. <laughs> so I got to see him later. But yeah, so it was. And also I found out that the Marvel team had discovered this really old <laughs> impressions video I put out during college called Impressions by Isaac. And they said, you know what? He does a lot of voices. We bring him in to do the scratch because we know he can, has a lot of range. So it was this weird convoluted path to get there. But I am so thankful to be part of Marvel in this capacity and now multiple capacities um, in my career. So, and yeah, I, I haven't really looked back. I've been amazingly lucky and privileged to be part of this team. Um, and the fact seeing my character on the screen for the first time when I watched it with my friends um, was incredible. But then also being in the same cast list as like Samuel L. Jackson and Jeffrey Wright and <laughs> um, all these people that are heroes of mine. I was like, this is, this is the coolest ever. I definitely took a million screen captures of that when it <laughs> premiered on, on the air. So yeah, that's how it roughly happened as far as I can remember. As we're talking for people that are watching the video version of this interview, you are in your home studio. I, I love the I setup. And yeah. There's a, you can't see a lot of it, but there is a whole lot of nerddom happening around <laughs> these borders. Um, you can kind of see there's a droid from, uh, Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland that I built with a friend and then Back to the Future is my favorite movie so I got that poster hanging out in here but there's a whole lot of stuff that's above but yes this is my home studio that I work from audition from do interviews from everything so I'm here a lot cool and and as far as the home studio did you build that during the pandemic when you realized you had a pivot or has that always kind of been the, the case for you as an extra outlet you know it's kind of been a work in progress since the pandemic um I had a home studio set up, not this embellished that I was working from and auditioning from before. But once the pandemic started, what's interesting is voiceover never really shifted. Um, it kind of was the same process. It just, we weren't in person really anymore. Um, and a lot of the ways that we were dealing with things were going completely digital. But what's cool is voiceover work itself was still pretty strong and still pretty th much the same. Um, but because of the fact that we were doing a lot of work from our home studios, we had to be souped up to be ready to have production quality audio coming from wherever we live. So that's during the pandemic is really when I got in touch with people that I trust and um, learning about how to create a home studio that was really robust and um, worthy of work that was going to be put out professionally on, you know, these networks and things. So um, it kind of was the pandemic that shifted it a little bit more into the higher quality end. But the home studio was sort of progressing, but I'm really happy with where I am now. So it's, it's, it's all been good. Yeah. It, look, it looks pretty badass from, from my vantage point. And Thanks. Of, of course you've done, what if you've done all, all kinds of video game work as well. Yeah. How have the processes been in terms of like the difference between them? Like, are you recording sometimes at home, sometimes in studio? Are you interacting with fellow actors or are you just reading your lines and are inserted? Like, I'm kind of curious. I know it's kind of different for each production. Uh, all of the above. I've done work from my home studio for several things. Um, I've done in-studio work that has been isolated, so I haven't been in the room with other actors necessarily, except for one uh, job that I did uh, where I was doing background looping work on another project. Um, I was in the room with another actor, but we were separated by a partition in the middle, and we all we could only be in that room and like you know, vaccinations and all that. And or we had, at that point, we had to prove that we were we didn't have COVID, so we had to get the tests and everything. Um, so I have. It's kind of been a mixture of being at home. Uh, some of the time, like maybe about 50% being in studio, the other percentage of the time, and then a small percentage being with other people, which is the best because that's where the energy can be exchanged more freely and where you can actually be with people in the room. So it's kind of all over the place, but I'm, I'm, I'm mostly here or in studio, I, I find. Um, and it's getting a little bit better. It's getting a little bit more 
um, interactive with people as things get a little bit, you know, better. But um, yeah, about half studio, half in at my home is what I would say, I think, for my work. You hinted earlier that you, you have worked with Disney before. And I was doing some yes. digging on you and I didn't realize that at one point you actually worked at Disneyland. I did. I actually after, just recently left the company as a performer very uh, around um, a month and a half ago. Um, but yeah, on and off for 11 years, I was a cast member at Disneyland. Um, I started, uh, and actually also in the middle of that too, I worked at Universal Studios Hollywood for about six years, six and a half years. And some of that time was together. Um, but at Disneyland, I was a character host for a little while. And then I was part of the Turtle Talk with Crush experience at Disneyland. Um, and then I left, went to Universal. Um, and while I was at Universal, I was a tour guide. I did the VIP experience. I did the um, Transformer voices, uh, Donkey... Um, what else? Host of the special effects show, um, good friends of the train conductor at Wizarding World of Harry Potter, uh, and a character Halloween Horror Nights for four years. Uh, Grinchmas, I was one of the who's. It's a lot of stuff that I did there. And then at Disneyland, when I came back in 2015, I was uh, Dapper Dan, lead singer in the Dapper Dans of Disneyland for about five years. Um, and then I performed over at the Fantasy Fair Theater and at Galaxy's Edge. So that's a lot of where my stage and improv experience comes from, is being in theme park entertainment for a third of my lifetime, which is insane to say, looking back on it. But it was, it's was it been amazing. Well, and I read somewhere, too, that your voice can be found in Tokyo Disneyland. It can, yeah. I'm the voice of the uh, ringmaster for Tokyo Disneyland's Dumbo attraction. And I've had a very long, uh, about the same time as I've been working for Disneyland, uh, I created a relationship with Walt Disney Imagineering. So I've been working with them for about a decade also. So that's one of the many projects I've done with them. Um, so I'm part of, yeah, my voice is in Disney parks in Tokyo, Florida, and California at the moment, and hopefully more to come. So that's fantastic. And yeah. did that relationship with, with Disneyland all these years, did it kind of open the door for your work with some of these Marvel projects or was that kind of separate? It was, you know, it's been the same and separate. Um, my relationship with Imagineering has definitely opened the door to the work that I've done in Disney parks as far as voices in the parks. Um, like uh, besides Imagineering, there was sort of a, another uh, segment of uh, the Disney company that does, you know, the park announcer uh, things. So I've done, uh, I was the voice for um, the Disney villains dance party and uh, Mickey's happy holidays parade. Um, and most recently another connection with Marvel that, uh, is what has been probably one of the most important jobs I've had in my career so far as if anybody's heard of, or is headed to, or is going to see, um, Avengers campus in California adventure. I am the voice of black Panther in the stunt show that performs daily at that park. And that wow, was, that, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And that was a miraculous experience because I got to work with Beth McGuire, who's the dialects coach for the black Panther film. So I got to hear about her relationship with Chadwick Boseman and stories about them working together and really honing in on his sound and his voice and what his character was and what he was doing. So it really like, I just got an education on, a whole other part of myself and a whole other part of Black Panther. I was already a fan when the movie came out, but to be the one that was chosen to be his voice for that was absolutely incredible. But um, so that was amazing on in its own world. But then, yeah, Marvel itself has been a separate thing, weirdly, even though it's all the same stuff in the same kind of universe. Uh, the parks, the video games um, and the TV show are, have all been separate endeavors of their own, but they all just happen to culminate because they're all part of Marvel. So I've been really lucky to be in all of those different mediums that during my career so far. Yeah. I think people forget sometimes, I mean, Disney's a gigantic company. I mean, th this is the amazing thing with Disney. Why it's so successful. They're like an all-star team, right? Like yeah. any of these divisions like Disneyland, Disney world, 
Marvel, you know, D- Disney Plus, they could all be spun off into their own companies and be highly profitable and successful. So, yeah, it is kind of interesting, like with your insight, the how, like, yeah, it's technically all under the same umbrella, but there's different processes and getting involved for each one. Exactly. Yeah. And I've just been really lucky that people have trusted me with these characters in this world um, because Marvel means so much to me and has meant so much to me since I was a kid. So it's kind of a cool circle of events that I read the comics. I'm a huge comic nerd, read the comics, saw the movies fell in love with everything and then got to be part of it later on, which is, so it's been awesome for me. You play Theo and you've done other voices for Marvel's Avengers video yes. game. And, yeah. and, and what I love is not just the content of the main story, but there's so much DLC as well, including the Black Panther DLC. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in Avengers? Yeah. So in Avengers, it was a really interesting event because I got the email from my agent about this video game that I got booked. For. And the, the funny thing about voiceover is, a lot of the time when you're doing the work, sometimes you don't know what the project is until you're in the room or in the studio. So for this one, they had sent me, they said, you booked this this game. It's going to be at this studio at this time. Um, just get there. And, you know, and I was like, okay, great. I have I have jobs. So I went to the studio and I just completely on a whim. I just happened to wear my Iron Spider shirt because I was like, well, I love Spider-Man. I'm going to try to, you know, just wear something cool to the studio that I feel good in. And so I wore it and walked in. And when I got in the studio... That's when the <clears throat> team told us they were like, just so you guys know, you're doing Marvel's Avengers. That's what we're working on today. Had no idea until we got in the room. Um, and then for Theo, it was so interesting because a lot of us had been doing scenes back and forth for different parts of the game, like the little interstitial scenes you'll hear while you're walking through with the main story or like, you know, scenes with characters on the side and everything. And just in the middle of all of that work that we were doing, um, one of the people on the team handed me the sheet and said, okay, you're going to play Theo. And I had no idea who he was. I had no idea what he looked like. Really, um, all I had was the script to go off of. So I kind of looked at the script, kind of thought about what he would be like, and then just kind of went off of instinct and it ended up working. And then when I saw him later, I was like, oh, that's what he looks like. Oh, that's what he does. Oh, I remember that line. Oh, that scene makes more sense now. You know, so um, that was how I got involved with that. And then what's great about this business is once you have trust from other people that you're working on a project with, you'll often be either remembered or asked back or I'm asked to be involved in future things with the same company. So that's what happened with me. Um, A couple of, a few months later, they asked if I would, uh, they hired me to be involved in the Black Panther War for Wakanda expansion for the game. And again, another connection. I worked with Beth for a second and third time because we did multiple sessions with her to get the accent correct because the accent is so important and so inherent to making the world work that we spent time with her to learn about the accent that they used in Wakanda. So it was me and it was amazing because it was a cast of hundred percent black actors working on this amazing accent for this amazing world um, to bring this really cool expansion to this game. that was already awesome. So that's, that's my story of the involvement. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of other different versions you'll hear, depending on who you talk to that was in it, but that's how it happened with me. And I'm very, very happy. I have, I bought the collector's edition of the game. So I have it in my little, you know, storage over there. But so anyway, yeah, that's how it happened. That's so cool. And, and you said about the trust. Trust is is definitely important in acting, yes. especially in, in voice acting. When did you get to the point in your career where you felt like a lot of these casting directors really knew you and understood you and, and could trust you? I'm still headed there, honestly. I have people that I know now, but it's a very slow burn, I think, because there's a lot of there's a lot of building that you have to do and a lot of things you have to accomplish, I think, and move through to get to a point where people know who you are, trust what you can do, and understand that you have the capability to give them what they need in a, in a given situation. Um, so I would say 
I would say it's probably taken the almost the full decade that I've been really working at this to get to a point where I'm just now, you know, getting to a place where people like remember who I am and are asking about me and are wanting to hear my take on characters. It wasn't like that for the first. You know, I've been with um, an incredible agency with uh, SBV Sutton Barth and Venari for um, over a little over five years now. Um, and but working with them, trying to get a sense of who I was and learn who I was with with their help, and of course them giving me these amazing opportunities to work. And that I think that's one of the biggest things is having an agent that trusts you. I think is the the first hill to climb because you have to have somebody that's going to fight for you to get you into these places and into these rooms. But then it's up to you. Um, so I think working with people in entertainment and working in theater and knowing people that are doing different projects and trusting the process, um, and also going for projects that may or may not yield a whole lot of reward to you necessarily. Um, I, I think saying yes is a big part of what I've done. Um, and then having people that have your back, uh, i.e. my agent that allowed me to walk into these rooms and then, you know, my work to then garner their trust. So it's a, it took a while, but I think, I think the latter part of the 10 years or so that I've been working at this is really where it's all kind of honed in. And also with the pandemic and being away from everything except this really focused my energy because, you know, before I really was a hundred percent on this, I was still working at Disneyland, which I absolutely adored, um, but I knew that at some point I needed to take the leap to just focus on only voiceover. And that is proven to be the right choice because this is what I love to do and it's all I want to do. And so taking the leap, having people that trust me and knowing that I can let people know that they can trust me has been, it's kind of a mutual thing, I'd say, with working. When did you take the leap and decide, you know what, I, I want to really go full bore and, and become a full-time actor? And also, when when did you arrive in L.A.? Did you grow up here? Or did you- uh, no, actually, I grew up in Sacramento, um, so about 400 miles north. Um, and I moved down here in 2008 to go to college at UC Irvine, which is where I got my degree in theater. Um, graduated, in, and I always knew, I think... Even when I made the, before I made the jump to be just fully voiceover, I knew that I was going to be an actor and performer. Like that was never a question. I never. I've I've tried to think of alternate versions of what my life could be, and there's nothing else I want to do, and nothing else I really can that I'm really good at. So, I um, was studying at UC Irvine, and it was actually the the decision to do voiceover was. Uh, kind of a funny thing because I didn't really know it was a job, honestly, my whole life until uh, high school. I'd been doing impressions since I was little and I loved all these characters and I would repeat the lines. Um, Also being a singer, I just have an ear for music and melody and speech and in song. And I was watching an episode of a show called Inside the Actor Studio, uh, which is an interview show Mm -hmm. for actors that James Lipton, I'm so sad he's gone. And he was interviewing the cast of The Simpsons one Sunday. And when I watched these actors create these characters that I loved so much from their mouths and their brains. And like everything just kind of came together. And when I was like, Oh, my love of music and impressions and theater and voices, like it was like everything just made sense in that moment. Right. When I was a senior in high school, I was like, okay, well, this is what I have to do. So I went and I got my theater degree and I, but I think that there was never really a question of me being an actor, but making the choice to leave um, everything and just do voiceover was really that what I told you about a month and a half ago where I decided to leave Disneyland. I mean, I hadn't been back to perform because of COVID. We'd been closed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that if I didn't take the jump, then I don't think I ever would have because it's it's such a scary thing to just be like, okay, I'm going to trust myself that the things will come. And lo and behold, the day that I did it, I booked another job. So I was like, okay, I'm in the right spot. And like meeting all these people and talking to people like you and just growing myself in this career, I knew know that I made the right choice, but it was, it was very scary. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I'm really happy that I did. And I'm happy to be continuing with everything that I've been doing. 
I'm assuming back in the day you were a Final Fantasy fan? Not as much as you'd think. I was I was aware of it and I saw friends that played it, but I never really got into it super <laughs> a whole lot. And my first real foray into the game was getting the job, honestly. And now I'm like, oh, I should have been on this train <laughs> way long time ago. Uh, it's because it's awesome. And I have friends that are uh, that are in the game as well. So it's kind of cool to like talk to them and be like, oh, you're that was a fun thing. When the game came out, the cast list was finally released, you know, on the credits and so I was able to see people that I was friends with, people from my agency that were in it, like all this. So, yeah, I, I am now a fan. I was not a fan before because I didn't know. I just wasn't aware of it. Um, but, yeah. Wait, so Final Fantasy VII Remake was your first video game gig, like, ever? My No, my first... What was my first video game gig? It might... Let me think back. It actually might have been, now that I think about it. Um, yeah, I... <laughs> I'm trying to remember if there was anything before, but I don't think there was. Yeah, I think Final Fantasy might have been the first one um if i'm forgetting something i forgive me if i forgot <laughs> the, <laughs> that's the, a hell of a start but yeah that's yeah it's it's been really it's been tri- not trial by fire necessarily but it has been my introduction to a lot of these things has been um projects that are really great like you know video game final fantasy 7 my very first animated professional animated project i was in uh, voltron um legendary defender on uh, netflix that was my very first animation job um <laughs> And, you know, my first theme park job voiceover was doing, you know, stuff for Epcot for Disney World. Yeah. So, yeah, it's my first if I'm remembering right, my first video game job was Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, yeah, it was. So that was that was amazing. I, I love it. And, I'm, and I've worked with Square, uh, Square Enix, Enix, I can't remember, but I've worked with them a couple of times now since that project, which has been awesome. So cool. And I, I've heard all the, the talk about how long it takes to kind of create these video games and everything. I know about yeah. Crunch and everything else. And especially with the, these Square Enix games, they put so much work into it for Marvel's Avengers. That was in yes. development for years. Yeah. Uh, you have Kingdom Hearts 3, you know, to, oh, to come out. Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and, final, and now Final Fantasy 7. So when did you actually start your particular process with the remake? With the remake, it was, I would say, maybe about a year or, or maybe a, a year, a little less than a year before the game actually released. Um, I know it was at least several months before it came out. Um, I have the, I could, I could recall it exactly if I looked at the dates. But yeah, it's, it's a long time. I know that there's some things that um, video games can take, you know, two, three, four years to, to create. So yeah, I was about, I would say roughly a year uh, before it came out, I was involved, maybe a little bit less. But I mean, there's, um, I'm in a video game that I recorded in 2018 that still isn't out. Wow. <laughs> so um, it's, it, you know, pr- the production cycles on these things is massive, uh, but it's really cool to see the project evolve and see the trailers come out and see the like plays of the, like the, the, when people record themselves playing it. So it's, it's always fun for me. It's just the only thing it's hard is to just keep it a secret and not talk about it because there are things that I know that I can't say, but you know, it's, it's a whole, the whole thing, but, but yeah. So to answer a very long winded answer, but saying I was about a year or less that I was involved before the game actually was released. We always like to ask our guests some kind of random rapid fire questions just to yeah. get to know them better. You sure. ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Favorite late night snack or cheat meal. Oh, cheat meal. Uh, I got to go with a fries and an Oreo shake. Late night cheat meal. Love Ooh, it. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. Can't have that every day though. No, you can't, but I love it. <laughs> Favorite color? Blue. Mm, okay. Specifically, uh, midnight blue. All right. Yeah. There you go. yeah. I like it. Man, yeah. man of taste. All-time favorite actor and all-time favorite voice actor. Oh, man. You're going to make me work. Um, all-time besides, favorite Besides actor. yourself. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, I mean, there are so many. Uh, 
all-time favorite actor? The one that pops to mind that specifically just because of historical significance and because I'm an actor of color, I think Sidney Poitier is really high on my list. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say him for now. Um, and then favorite voice actor. There are a lot of them. Uh, ones that I look up to, um, definitely from my childhood. Paul Fries, I think is a big one for me. He's the voice of the haunted mansion at Disneyland, the original voice. Um, uh, He's actually, this guy is actually my agency. Corey Burton is one of my favorites. He does so many incredible things. He's been the, like the voice of Captain Hook forever and lots and lots of stuff for Disney. Um, and uh, also at my agency, actually, funny enough, um, Rob Paulson, another one of my favorites. Um, and I have so many, I mean, there's too many to name, but I have so many friends that are colleagues of mine that I work with that are, that are becoming and have become my favorite people. Um, so yeah, those are the, those are the immediate ones that I can think of at the moment. Um but uh, but yeah, there's so many that I can think of that I can't name them all. But there's there's a lot. Yeah. As an actor who's been in the game now for for quite a while, do you feel like the industry shift finally shifting to a, a really good place when it comes to black actors and black creators? You know, I think that there's a good move toward the right area. I think that there's still stuff that needs to be done and things that needs to be worked on. But I think that with the advent of like Black Lives Matter and everything that's been going on, I feel like there is a there's more of an awareness of the spectrum of what black actors are and what they can do and how they can affect the how they can affect everybody how they can affect the industry how they can um, move people and so I'm really excited about that because as somebody who is mixed I'm half black half white I never really felt like there was a place for me because literally I am a walking you know contradiction in some people's minds because I'm not like completely black I'm not completely white so I had to figure out what being in the middle means but finally with people expanding their viewpoint of what that means especially when it comes to entertainment I feel really happy that I'm part of the change that's happening right now. So I know that there's a lot to go, um, but I think that we're moving in the right direction. I think. What's your most obscure and random project? You seem like you've done about everything. Is there something that even for you was kind of like, Whoa, this is not something I do every day. Oh man. Okay. Um, nothing's been too obscure, weirdly enough. Um, but I think that one might be, Oh, here's an obscure one. Okay. So in, uh, there's a show in, there, well, I don't know if it's coming back. It's, it's been closed for a while. But there's a show at Universal Studios Hollywood called The Special Effects Show, which I actually performed in um, as one of the hosts for the first three years of its new uh, version. And in the show, there's a part where they talk about motion capture. And they explain how when the character moves, it's because of the actor that has the suit on with the, with the dots that detract by the camera and everything. So the example they use for that is the movie Ted that Seth MacFarlane created because a lot of the, all of Ted's movements and voice were Seth MacFarlane in a mocap suit with a microphone and getting his movements and acting. Um, in the show, the host that's on stage interacts with Ted on the screen, but the audio that they had for Seth MacFarlane when they recorded that wasn't very good quality. So they said, hey, Isaac, you're good at impressions. Do you think you can do a good impression of Ted? Um, so I listened to it for a few minutes. I was at rehearsal for the show and then I went upstairs and they put me in the middle of three racks of clothes and stuck a microphone in there and I did the line. So if you go see the special effects show, if it ever comes back or if you watch it online and you hear Ted talking, that's actually my voice. It's not Seth MacFarlane. That was one of my very first voice matching jobs was doing him for that show. So that's a very obscure credit that I have. <laughs> it is not super advertised, but I have done it and it is me. So dang, man, great range. Brick, Thanks. Black Panther, Ted. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> What's your most awkward moment as an actor? Also in the special effects show. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I had forgotten my microphone upstairs. We have these like mics we put in our, you know, our clothes and they go up through and hooks on the side, you know, like a regular like mic show at a theme park. And 
it was about, I was watching and listening to the intro and it was about maybe 25 seconds before I had to come on stage. And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh no, I don't have my microphone. So I ran upstairs, grabbed my mic and came down, but didn't have time to put my clothes back together. So I walked out and there's only two of us on stage. So there's like spotlight and then spotlight. And I'm in the spotlight <laughs> with my pants undone, my shirt open, my microphone kind of everywhere. And I was like, and, and you know, a thousand plus people out in this audience. I was like, well, okay, well, I can't go lower than this. So I just kind of laughed it off and continued the show. And Mike gave me a hard time. My host that I was with at the time, but that was, it was embarrassing, but it was also really funny. And it taught me the importance of laughing at yourself in moments like that. Cause it's like, nothing's going to really happen to you. It's just, you know, kind of a funny moment that I, now it's a memory that I have, but that's probably one of the most embarrassing and awkward moments I've had as an actor. Yeah. Hey, look, sometimes crap happens, you know, it could happen in yeah. a live stream, could happen in a live show and you just have to adapt. You just have to exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 That's what it is. That's what this whole thing is. I mean, the, the, the business in general is just rolling with whatever happens, but that's part of the fun for me. What's the best piece of advice you give for success? It's going to sound trite and overused, but honestly, the things that I've noticed are a couple of things. One, um, be kind to people. That has gotten me so far. And a lot of people that I've talked to that are successful are kind people. Um, so be kind. Um, trust yourself. Don't let the um, don't, don't let the fact that it seems impossible get in the way um, or that it can't happen because it can. And then also, this is a great piece of advice that I heard. Um, if you have, you know, people talk about having like a plan A and a plan B for stuff. Like if this doesn't work out, then I have this backup plan to just do this for my, for my life or whatever. But, um, I know what I love to do and I only want to do that. So I heard this great piece of advice, which was, um, plan A is to do what you love to do with, with your, with your life. Plan B is to make sure plan A works and never let that get out of focus, you know, and it will work. You know, it has to, it, it, the, it, um, if you do the thing you love, the things that you, that you that you need will follow. The things you need will always be there. So we we'll might as well go for what you'd love to do instead of settling for something you don't like as much just to be secure, you know? So Tremendous advice. I absolutely love that. And and, and I like what you said. Like your plan B is, is to help make plan A happen. And you did that with your Disneyland gig for years and your Universal gig, right? Yeah, exactly. That was that was it. It was like this supporting work, leaning building toward the actual work. And now I am now I've jumped off the cliff and I'm here and I'm going for the real deal. So yeah, it's exactly what it was. Fantastic. Well, Isaac, we really do appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure learning about your journey. Where can fans find you online and where can we find you next on screen? So you can find me online. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's at IRS Voices, Isaac Robinson Smith. So at IRS Voices. Um, I'm also, I don't use it very often, but I'm also on Twitter at IRS Voices and then Facebook, Isaac Robinson Smith. That's where you can find me. And on screen, I can't say much, but it's going to be, there will be some things coming to the small screen uh, pretty soon. Um, and that's about all I can say for right now, but there's, there are some things that are coming up that I'm really looking forward to.